What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the In The Round podcast. I'm your host, Matt Burrill. And as you can see, we are in a new studio. We are at the Trey Lewis DM Monday podcast studios here in Midtown Nashville, right in the heart of Music City, the heart of Music Row. So shout out to TL uh, for having us let us letting us use this studio um, and be sure to check out the new project that I'm collaborating with him and my good buddy Trey Bonner on DM Monday. It's a wild podcast. Y'all be sure to check it out today. A great episode with a guy who's been very influential in the country music scene over the last 10, 15 years, a guy named David Nail. You've definitely heard his songs and you'll get to learn a lot about him on this episode. We're super stoked to have him. Got to tell you about our sponsors, Whale Tail Media. Make sure you check out Whales and the crew over there. They got uh, all kinds of stuff for you. Um, video, they specialize in anything you really need. Uh, we do a lot of work with them, whaletail.com. Check out uh, Saxman Studios, our studio partner, Grady and the boys over there recording all kinds of great music. Uh, we have a lot of friends that are working over there right now. So looking for a spot to record at Saxman Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee. We also have our new buddy, Mitch Wallace. He's an old time buddy. We've had we've known Mitch for a long time, but he's a content professional here in Nashville, Tennessee. So make sure you find him on IG, find him on TikTok. You're looking to grow your brand, whether it's music, whether it's a business, anything really that you can do with social media, hit up my man, Mitch Wallace, the digital marketing agency. And then last but certainly not least, our friends in the green world, Trailside CBD Emporium, all those goods that get you high legally, Delta 8, Delta 8, Delta 8, gummies, other edibles, things you can smoke, things you can dab, things you can vape, they even got shit for your dogs, hit them up, trailsidecbd.com, promo code ITR, you save 20%, and we've always got the hookup at our Writers Rounds at Live Oak. We all sit back, enjoy this episode, super honored and stoked to have Mr. David Nail, heard a lot of stories on this one, and let's get into it. This is the In The Round Podcast with David Nail. Yeah, so yeah, so this is more than more many cameras in today's show. This is the this is this is the most amount of cameras that I've ever like because I used to work in radio. I did country radio up in New Jersey uh, for a couple of years before I moved here. Um, So I've never done like a podcast or radio show with this many cameras. So again, it's the the Trey Lewis DM Monday setup where video tends to be a little bit more of a thing. So bright lights, yeah, man, it's cool and. We got like all like this redneck signage that came from like Huntsville, Alabama. Some stuff that's overpriced. Like that Shoney sign was like, I think Trey's manager dropped like $600 on it. Trey wasn't too happy about that. I think he pulled the business card after that one. But, <laughs> but yeah, so how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's a little nasty outside, but uh, it's exciting. You know, just uh, the beginning of a year somewhat and just got back out on the road this the last couple of weekends. Oh, yeah. And so, um, got a couple weekends off before we hit it hard in March. Yeah, I saw the schedule. You guys are going a lot of different places, right? You guys, you pretty much, cause you've been doing this music thing for a minute now. For several, several minutes. Several minutes, quite yeah. a few minutes. Uh, maybe even up towards up towards 60 minutes, a whole a hour of, of doing this of thing. Yeah, um, so you've gotten to go all around the country, and now it looks like you're, you're still doing, like, the clubs, but also doing theaters and doing, like, different things. What's touring like for you in... 2022 now this many years into it it's been really cool this year you know we started doing this kind of laid back uh stripped down vibe thing a couple of years ago well actually kind of started when we were doing a lot of radio promotion you know they would send us out with a couple of players and and um you know before i think a lot of artists would go out you know if you played guitar you would just kind of accompany yourself um and then i feel like when i kind of 
started going out on the radio uh, visits, it became popular. Whether I don't know why, but um, um, label started sending out an extra player, and then it became two players, then it became a sound guy, and so. I think we really kind of got dialed in, and um, and so people always ask that you know back then you know you should do an acoustic thing or something stripped down, and um, you know it's funny you you're doing all those radio visits back then. The last thing you you know you want to do is another acoustic performance. You <laughs> yeah, know? burns you um, out. You're you're ready to get on a bus and get you know full band and everything, and then you do that for ten years, and then you're like, God, me and I kind of. <laughs> kind of miss those like laid back ones so we've been doing that the the last couple weekends we did it a lot last year uh and it's a lot of fun you know i'm um i liked you know this is gonna show my age but two of my favorite shows growing up were vh1 storytellers and and mtv unplugged and so i always kind of it's kind of ridiculous to to think back on it now, but I I used to like when I couldn't sleep at night as a kid, I would like envision what it would be like to be on those shows, and I didn't even have any songs to talk about, but I would just make up answers. Yeah, and um, and so now I don't have to make up answers. I can just kind of talk about these songs and talk about um, you know, why I recorded them, why I wrote them, um, why I still sing them, and. You know, it's it's uh, there. There are a lot of audiences where I kind of walk out there. and I'm like, I don't know if they necessarily want to hear me talk tonight. But it's 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 crazy how how many people dig hearing the stories behind them and and just kind of getting a look behind. You know, they they obviously get um, a big window into my you know rambunctious personality yeah. that just <laughs> jumps off the walls. Yeah, man, and that's the thing about country <laughs> music fans—they're deeper, and also like rock fans. Like you talk about unplugged, so. With your, you, you got a few years on me, so I wasn't really alive for like the ni- like the nineties. I was born ninety five, so I didn't get to experience like the golden age of MTV. VH1. That was a good year, man. I was a sophomore in high school. No shit. A lot of good looking senior <laughs> girls in that. Hey, class. there we go, man. I had some good looking senior senior year or mm-hmm. senior girls when it, like twenty eleven. That was my sophomore looking at the senior uh, year. But the nineties, like you talk about, like the the VH1 unplugged or VH1 um, behind the music and the uh, MTV unplugged. Talk about like Nirvana and like bands like that, like rock bands. Did you grow up listening to some of that, or were you more like '90s country, or were you like off the wall, like pop, hip hop, a little bit of everything? You know, I, my father was a band director, so I grew up always listening to a little bit more, uh, I'd say, mature music, a little older music than maybe my um, demographic was listening to. But you know, a lot of that was out of, I, I just that's what I was around, and so I just assumed everybody else's parents put on that stuff you know elton john motown um classic rock there wasn't a lot of country at all i kind of discovered the country thing on my own um who, like was, said, who, was, who was who was your first who was your like Man, I damn went, i like country music i went to a talent show in my high school when i was in junior high um my father was accompanying uh, my father's a band director and he was helping out a couple of the the younger acts and um I heard this kid sing anymore by Travis Tritt, and I was like, damn, man, I like that song. And, you know, you couldn't just Shazam it back then. You know, you had to do some research. And um, I remember, you know, probably that day when I found out who it was going to Walmart, and it was like my first cassette that I ever got of, like, a country act. And then um, that just sort of – I mean, that was a big, huge record. It's All About the Change, I think, was the name of the record. It was the second – Travis Tritt's second record. Um, and he was a part of that whole class of 89. So that was right at the beginning of the 90s boom. And so I got a, I kind of got that in my, those really important years. I kind of got to follow that as 
sort of the soundtrack of my youth. Yeah, not a bad era to be growing up listening to country music. I mean, you think of the guys and girls that were coming out in that era. That's when like country like had its had its explosion from being a small town thing to being in a place like where I grew up in New York. You know, like where it kind of all it turned into like a stadium kind of thing, which was cool. Yeah, I think you know it's funny. I'm. I, I just missed um, the 90s boom. You know, I can remember when I first started, you know, I would hear record labels say, oh, we're we're um, we're spending Shania's money or we're spending the Dixie Chicks money or these acts, you know, Garth's money, you know, all these acts that brought in these, cra- had these crazy successful albums. And there, a lot of artists like myself got the benefit because there was obviously a excess amount of money to sign new acts and try to promote new acts. Um, and so I kind of got to see that on the, the ending, the ending of that time period. And, and then, you know, I think the early two thousands was a really tough time to be an artist. Um, you know, when I first started out my first record deal, it just seemed like, you know, everybody talks about how many artists there are now. It, it seemed like for back then, you know, um, you know, every, every label may have, 20 or 30 acts, you know, and, and, you know, the public may not know 15 or 20 of those, but they only know the, the Garth Brooks and the Brooks and Dunn's and all those, but they'd have so many acts in developmental stages. Um, and I went out with four, I think, acts that had very limited success when I was 21 years old. And then it wasn't until really the 2010s when my career started to take off. So I, I kind of was, you know, I was going through some things personally during the early 2000s, so I, I don't know. That, I, I think it was a good thing that I wasn't out on the road and, yeah. and, and working then and trying to kind of figure out what, what, I, what, what I wanted to what, be. What were those years like of you putting in the grind before seeing the radio success, before that first song going to radio, the label deal, all that stuff? Were you on Broadway? Were you just kind of writing? Like, what, what was going on in the world of David Nail? There's a place 2001 down, to 2010. There's a place down the street called the Tin Roof, man. I was there about six days a week, and that, that was only because they weren't open on Sundays then. <laughs> um, I hung out there a lot. A lot of the workers became really good friends of mine even today. Um, and the thing that I loved about that is coming out of my first record deal, um, that all happened so fast and it all ended so fast. It really took me a good two to three years before I even realized what the hell had happened. Um, you know, I, I moved here within six months. I'd had a record deal. Um, let's say eight to 10 months later, I was making a record. And the next spring, you know, going out on the road. I mean, the first show I ever did, really anywhere, was um, out in L.A. at this club. And I remember them saying, "This is where Elton John just had his Grammy party." So it's like you get this small town kid from Southeast Missouri, and yeah. suddenly he's out on the road. I mean, it was a recipe for disaster, <laughs> and it was in a lot of ways. But um, you know, so I spent probably you know twenty three through. 25, 26, just kind of trying to get my wits about me again. And then, um, you know, I can remember uh, during that time, you know, always kind of thinking about what was next and not necessarily musically, like, hey, if this doesn't work out or I don't get another opportunity, what is there what is there that I can do? And I can remember I was living just across the interstate here in the Gulch, and um, I got this brave idea that I was going to go to umpiring school and be a baseball umpire 
You would, you're a pretty big dude. You would have been a hell of an umpire. And my father was a huge sports fan. 3.30 in the morning. Hey, not perfect. Not a soul in sight. Perfect. The Thunder Road. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, my father was a huge sports fan, so I thought, man, I'm going to bring my parents here and and unveil this new plan, and they're going to think it's just like this magnificent idea. And I remember presenting it in this way that I felt like was – very, you know, thorough, and I can remember my dad just looking at me and go, no, you're not, and I was like, huh, and he's like, you're going to sing, that's what you're supposed to be doing, and so um, that went out the window, and, and then um, I met um, a guy named Jason Shear, who I had known for several years, but had, had started a tin roof down here on Demomian Street, and he had heard an old demo that I had done, and he called me one night, and he just said, hey, I don't know what you've got going on. I don't know what the deal is. He said, but you're going to play on Monday nights. And I was like, huh? Like, no one's ever told me what to do or yeah. where to sing. Like, yeah. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But at the same time, I was – I'd also never had anybody that came up to me and said, man, I dig what you do so much. Yeah. I want you to play. So I had never really done the Broadway thing, had never really played clubs, so – 26, 27 were really my years. I played two different stints there on Mondays, one with his wife and then one with a guy named Ward Gunther who started yep, Whiskey Jam. Yeah, we're, we're repping the shirt. That's one of my heroes in Nashville Yeah, what he, I do. Like, I was going to ask you about your relationship with him. We started we started singing on Monday nights, and then um, I got a record deal and another record deal and, and started to go back out on the road to promote that. And the only guy I really knew that – played music was Ward so I took Ward out on the road with me and we literally went from one corner to the other corner and everywhere in between uh playing a lot of the songs on my first record and um trying to get the ball rolling and then um not too terribly long after that Ward started Whiskey Jam Ward had bigger things on his horizon than playing acoustic guitar for me (laughs) but it was so much fun because man to have Ward there to hang out with, you know, like, like I hate to keep saying like small town kid going all these places, but you know, so many times you get to go do things and see things and play places. And you just wish you had one of your buddies from back home to like be there with you instead of just the radio rep suit, like somebody like that, somebody that gets it. That's another small town kid. And, and so, you know, it was great because we would get in the car every night after dinner. I mean, we would eat at these amazing restaurants and hang out these, you know, stay at awesome hotels and it was just fun because we would just kind of it got to the point where we just look at each other we knew what the other person was thinking like how what in the world are we doing you know this is crazy (laughs) yeah um so you know i released one single about to come alive that didn't really do anything and then the next song went back in to record some more stuff for the first record and and red light was a result of that yeah, which is that one? Is that one that uh, Singleton is a part of? Yeah, so that's another guy that I've got in my few years being in town. Where it's like you learn of these these guys and girls that have been in town for a while and are like very involved. And like what I do, like I I'm not a songwriter, I'm not an artist, I'm not a musician. I, I'm a crew member, go out on the road, and then I do this podcast, host the writers round. So you meet guys like Ward, and you meet guys like Jonathan Singleton, and that's a song I remember listening to when it came out. I was in. I think late high school, early college, I remember listening to Red Light. So that's that's freaking cool that then how did that change things for you? That that turn you turn you out into the road a bit more? Well, I'll tell you what's an awesome story is so 
right before Red Light, he had written Watching Airplanes with yes. Gary Allen. Yeah. And Watching Airplanes was on hold for me for about two weeks. Oh, no shit. And Gary just kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> and suddenly it wasn't on hold anymore. And, um, you know, you get played so many songs and and it gets to a point where, like, you've heard so many that an average song suddenly becomes a good song because you're just wanting to hear something you yeah. quasi-like. And I remember hearing Watching Airplanes, and, of course, Jonathan singing the demo, and it was just so different and unique. Um, and he started he started getting a lot of buzz in town. Um, you know, like, hey, this guy's so good, we need to sign him to a deal, which he did have a deal initially, um, an artist deal. And so when Red Light came to me, I was a little burnt because watching airplanes, I saw that have this huge immediate success. Yeah. And I felt like I was getting the the seconds, you know, like Red Light was the sorry seconds. Even though I loved the song, I had this like animosity in some ways towards that's, it because that's understandable. Because I felt like, oh well, they're just throwing me this bone because I kind of got snaked out of watching airplanes. Um, and, but, you know, Brian Wright, who's the head of A&R at Universal, we were at the Corner Pub Midtown, which is not there anymore, and I thought I was getting dropped, and he played me that demo, and I wanted so badly to hate it, and by the second chorus, I knew I'm going back in the studio, (laughs) whether I like it or not, and, um, and we recorded that, and then, you know, I've never had a song that, that just flew up the chart. I mean, even whatever she's got, which was a huge hit for me, um, it took its own sweet time. Um, but Red Light, you know, there were a lot of Mondays where we didn't know if we were going to live to see another Monday. But it was once it got to, I'd say, the top 15, it was cooking pretty good. And we knew that we had a hit. And I knew that things, you know, that was one of those songs I always say, you know, you, you know the, the audience – you know, even if they don't know the words, they're out there kind of just mouthing something that's not even remotely the words. <laughs> and it kind of yeah. throws you off as a singer because you're like, what in the hell are they saying? Um, but uh, I remember, you know, they're, they're, that means it's in their head and they're, yeah, and they're trying me- to sing it to Recognizable melody, man. And so, um, yeah, Jonathan was a, has been a huge, huge part of my career. I mean, that um, having that song and having that success, then – parlayed that into starting to write with him and and uh the first song we ever wrote together was let it rain yeah another just hammer bro i texted him the day before and i said man i know you're such a great guitar player i said i just want you to come in with some sort of really unique guitar lick and he literally came in with that it was such a john mayer thing um, and at that I always time, call that, him. He's like the country John Mayer. Yeah, and that's in the John Mayer era too. So that's yeah. again that recognizable kind of thing, which is which is cool. Which that era too, that early 2010. So that happens what 2010, 2011, somewhere I don't know in there. The exact years, because man, we were just it all blends from, together, yeah, doesn't when it? When you when when from the moment red light hit, I mean, we were I was on the road, and one way share a form whether it was still promoting, you know, the singles or. We were playing shows. Like, you know, I had just gotten married, and, and um, you know, my, my wife always – it's funny hearing her talk about how much I was gone. You know, it's like I know I was gone a lot, but then when somebody else says, yeah, he really was, like, gone all the time, you kind of start having a little mental anguish, like, dang, man, 
not really why I was gone all the time. Yeah. Poor girl moved her here, and then she had to just stay all here by herself, you know, all the time. Yeah. When did when did the uh, when did the kids come along? 2015. Okay, so there were a few years. I was gonna say that makes it extra hard. A lot hard. of practice. If you're, a, lot of, a lot of practice. Yeah. Get got your reps lot, in. Lot, yeah. A lot of time <laughs> to figure out things weren't working right, so we had to we had to bring in some auxiliary I got weapons. You. I got gotcha. you. So, um, so I was listening to your um, the project you put out last year. It was the the Boot Heel 2021 EP, and it's cool the way you have that, the way it starts out and the way it ends. Are those those your kids that are on those? They're, those are my twins. They're um, six years old, Lawson and Billy Kate. And um, you know, it all started with the the 2020 EP. Um, I knew I wanted to have them in some way, shape, or form involved, but I didn't really know exactly how that should happen and so um my son's a very deep thinker he asked really really serious what's the wildest question he's asked you as a little kid because if he's five Man, six he's very um aware of heaven and wow he'll, he'll talk about you know hey when you go to heaven or when i go to heaven or when we all you know that's a song when we all get to heaven um but uh so you know a lot of times I'll go get a soda in the morning. A lot of times he'll go with me, and and usually in that five to ten minutes, I get some cannonball thrown on me, and it's, you know, sometimes I have to tell him like, look, man, I don't, I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> we, let's talk about matchbox cars or something, or baseball um, or something else. Yeah. But he uh he's just a deep thinker, and so um we uh, we were talking one day. It was just me and him, and the girls were all gone, and. Um, we had just moved into our new house down at Thompson Station, and, and we were talking, and it just kind of got to, like, that deep land. And so I just pulled out my phone, and I started recording, you know, him asking me questions, me asking him questions. And um, it was like, holy cow, man, this is what it's got to be. You know, it was totally unprompted and um, off the cuff and um, – it was it was just uh, real special, and so then, then that then when it came time to do 2021, my wife was really you know sticking me like, hey, you got to bring Lily Kate into the fold. Just tough because she's the ham of the family, but you never know what the hell's about to come out of her mouth, and she doesn't know anything like about scripting yeah. or like how you say this, which is funny because in one of the things she does say she just dies laughing at the end of it because but that's her you yeah know, that's her she, she can't be serious like even though it's a very serious song coming up like she it's in not in her dna to be like real serious like setting yeah. the tone yeah that's that's awesome and what's what's being a dad been like because i know that's a transition you moved to town young and now it's like you've been here so long you've done the done um, the done the just got married thing now then you've had the just just had a kid thing now you've got now you've been a dad for quite a few years now while living in town still doing the music thing how's that yeah, transition I mean, it's been tu it's tough you know it's it's tough i mean it's tough being a parent in general um but anytime that you you leave home and you have to kind of explain it to them and they don't necessarily understand what in the world is going on um and then you know covid happened and suddenly you're home for more or less a year and that year was a real big transition year for them because they they don't remember a whole lot from two and three. Yeah. 
But four and five, there was a lot of serious stuff going on in the world. You know, suddenly we got to wear masks everywhere. Suddenly we're talking about people being sick all the time. We, you know, that that was when COVID got really serious for me because my kids would just always ask, like, we can or can't do something because of the sickness. And every every conversation started with that, you know. Yeah. Whether it was, like, clean your room. Well, I have to clean my room because of the sickness. Like, everything. It just consumed our family. And so – um, they don't really remember me be, being gone like crazy. So um, now that you're getting back out on tour, so now that I'm getting back out, and it's like we we talk, have to talk about how many sleeps, how many sleeps is Daddy gonna be gone? That's how we measure time in our house. Um, is it you know one or two sleeps not a big deal? You know three or four sleeps. Now, ironically, my my daughter has the bigger issue with it, and then. My son, I think he enjoys it because I tell him he's got to be the man of the house, so he gets to lock all the doors at Has night. his responsibility that he likes. Yeah. He gets to lock all the doors at night. And then, ironically, the other day, he asked me, asked us, me and my wife about a gun. I'm like, we ain't going to have no gun. <laughs> yeah, no need. I'm like, where in the world did that come from? You know, they're in kindergarten now. Like, I got everybody else's parents I need to be raising their kids right that my kids are going to school with because they're picking up some things that I was kind of hoping to handled down the line a little bit yeah yeah for sure um another thing i wanted to ask you so again those years of like 2010 to like 2013 nashville kind of went boom around that point and the country music scene kind of changed a little bit you have the b word you have bro country getting thrown in there you have different acts kind of rising up that are that are still like big heritage acts today and then like there was just that transition where nashville became like one of the places for young people to move outside of music like the just all the i think that's when all the cranes started coming in crane city yeah crane city over 100 people a day moving here like it it turned from a a city about music to a a party town with some music in it so what was it like kind of being one of the ogs in town at that point and also seeing the country music scene change from the different crossovers that were going on around that time well i know one thing like you know i can remember when the tin roof started um and Jason will even talk about this, the guy that started He People thought he was an idiot for starting a business down there. I mean, it was nothing but old abandoned souvenir shops. You know, I don't even know if the Shonies was still working across the street or in service. Um, there was just a huge parking lot across the street where your car would sometimes get left at night, you know, um, if you couldn't drive or didn't want to yeah. and you were being mature. Um but, uh, you know, it was it was crazy because I really – I hate to keep talking about the Tin Roof, but I really feel like that's a great example of the growth of not only, like, my generation of country music, but the growth of the city. I mean, I can remember going there, you know, and you had your nights. You had the night when Bandy would be there. You had your nights when – so, you know – the Belmont kids would be there and there would be like young professionals. And then the weekends were kind of like this big, you know, collage of people. Um, and then it just, it was like you woke up like five, six years later and all of a sudden it was every night, just this melting pot of people. And suddenly there were about six or seven people in between you and the next person you recognized. And it wasn't somebody that was coming to be a singer. It wasn't somebody coming to be a performer in the music business. And, and um, but you know, I lived in an apartment over here called Laurel House in the Gulch, and we were the, it was four stories, and we were the only high rise in the Gulch. 
And um, there was only one high rise in the gulch at that yeah. point. Wow. And, and then, um, <laughs> and then I can remember when they built the icon, and then that slowed down. And there were a lot of people wondering if that was ever going to get finished because that was around like 2008 when the economy kind of went to the tank. Um, but I can remember my wife and I moved out to Franklin or our first house after we got married and I was still having to come into town a lot. And it seemed like every week I came in, there was something new being bought. There was something new being built. And suddenly, you know, the Mummian street was all healthy establishments. It wasn't that one place coming in for two months and closing. Um, there was just so much traffic in and around the tin roof that a lot of these other places got to have great nights because they couldn't all fit down there, so I had to go somewhere. Um, and then, you know, I I don't know when at all the the crazy boom started. As far as like, um, you know, we moved back to Nashville, and we used to go out to dinner. You know, even when we had the kids were small, um, we would go out to dinner once a week, and it just seemed like we would be in an Uber and we would drive by a building that wasn't there the week before. Yeah, and um. You know, I think that it's funny how that kind of coincides with a lot of these newer, younger acts. You know, I'll I'll throw Kane Brown out there for an example. You know, he's somebody that kind of moves the town. Um, like country music gets kind of big. Maybe like when I was talking about like the the class '89. You know, maybe it's the Luke Bryans and the Jason Aldeans of the world, and Kane Brown sees that, and it's like, oh here's this option. I want to be a singer. I'm going to be a singer and I'm going to put all these videos on YouTube and I'm going to get this following and I'm going to move to Nashville. And it just so happens now there's this place called whiskey jam Yeah, where you can go and network and meet all these people that are in the music business or want to be in the music business. And I don't know how many times I've heard of somebody being hired, signed, found, uh, maybe they didn't even perform there, but they networked, they met somebody, they got their CD to somebody. And so I think that it's funny you had like the tin roof during those early 2000s, early 2010s. And then really, you know, the mid 2010s is when Whiskey Games started and it went from, hey, this like, you know, music business type hang to then the absolute place you had to be on a Monday yeah, night. S- selling out what you were a part of that, the 10-year anniversary at the Ryman. Selling, yeah. selling that out, I've been putting a lineup out. Only thing to ever, only event to ever have that happen at the Ryman. To get to that point to where it's at now, what were those early days like? Because I had to imagine your connection with Ward and being a tin roof guy, you were on some of those early lineups. I remember, I played the first ever one. Really? I remember thinking man this is a cool idea and telling ward like if this if you get six months out of this you should consider that a win like because you're talking about a time period where there was just so many things to do so many places to be you know every week there was a new bar every week there was a new restaurant happening there was just so many people and you know nashville and the music business has a tendency to want to get jaded and bitter after a while absolutely yeah and so i just felt like it wouldn't be a a a reflection of ward or the product it would just be somebody something else would happen and people would it, it would they would pull enough people away enough regulars um 
that eventually it would fizzle out. And I think that's obviously a testament to Ward and his perseverance of not letting it, not and, letting that and, be an option. And, and adapting and just yeah. finding new ways to grow it, doing the outdoor stuff. During COVID, I mean, biggest one of the, the biggest weekly live event in Nashville, they found a way to continue by doing those Instagram lives, that Risky Jam thing. Yeah. Like, you just found ways to adapt and survive and grow it. And, you know, it's I think that's one of the things that I admire so much about Ward is, first of all, he's one of those people that do anything in the world for you. Yeah. Um, but this guy, you know, he moved here, and he wanted to be a singer, and he tried out for Nashville Star, and he tried out for The Voice, and, and you know, it. he he had to make a decision, like, do I want to go keep going down this road and beat my head against the wall, so to speak, or do I, you know, figure out another niche? And boy, did he ever, you know I mean? He, uh, if you think about, I used to love, I'm, I'm sure he still does, but I, I used to love when he would post those, you know, um, right around award shows, and he would post everybody that got nominated for awards. Yeah, I think he just did one for the ACMs. It was and like over – the numbers it, are crazy. It's literally like everybody, you yeah. know, everybody except for like, you know, the people who were obviously extremely successful before that started. But, uh, yeah, that's really cool to have a connection with somebody who, you know, like walking in and seeing your shirt, yeah, you know, man. seeing all the shirts and yeah. – um, I can remember having some hockey player friends that came in here one from came in to play the Predators, and they were asking like what to do. And before I could even say it, they were like, "The Uber driver told us there's this whiskey jam thing. It happens on Monday nights." And I'm like, "When you got Uber drivers and cab drivers that are telling you where to go on a Monday night, that's when you know you're big time." You yeah, know? absolutely. Who are some folks that you remember seeing um, at Whiskey Jam like before they were big? Because I'd imagine those early days you were hanging out there too, like you were part of the culture at that one, point. One right? of the cool people I didn't see him perform, but I remember one of the cool nights I had, it was just a night I was there hanging out and I ran into Thomas Rhett and baby Thomas. I Rhett. Was, yeah. I was, uh, he was baby, baby Thomas Rhett. And I remember, um, his dad was a huge influence on my career. I went to three or four Red Aiken shows when I was, you know, late high school, early college. And I actually, um, went to a show at a place called the midnight rodeo that I've played since. And, um, there's a lot of stories there between me and Rhett, but yeah. um, the the connection of now here's his kid, and I think he was just then starting to get a deal or about to get a deal, and I can just remember that look on his face and just like how like wide eyed and man like everything is going on is crazy and you know, what in the world is going on? This is all happening super fast. And um, so it was just kind of a full circle moment for me of, you know, here I am bridging the gap between father and and I'm the one in between whose career kind of happened in between. Yeah. And now here's the, here's the son who's getting ready to take the world by storm. So I always remember that night. I mean, there's several people, you know, I, I, can, I can remember in the last couple of years going one night, um, and seeing Mitchell Tenpenny and Jimmy Allen in a corner talking. And it was funny. They were, you know, they were figuring the music business out. You know, Together, I could, right, I could, right over, I could overhear their their <laughs> conversation, and they were figuring it all out, you yeah. know. Um, they had answers to everything. And and I was, <laughs> I just laughed, and I remember telling a buddy of mine named E.J. Burns, I said, you know, that was us 
10 years ago, you know, saying everything that was wrong and saying everything we should do, we were going to do, we're going to change the world, we're going to do all this, we're going to tour together, do all this. And um, so that's when you know you're old, you know. <laughs> Thank God Chris Young still goes, so I don't feel like entirely too old. Yeah, he's always out there. He yeah. always, always running to, always running them. So tour life for you. Uh, what were some of those early days touring? What were some tours that you got to go out on as an opener? Some of those first headlining dates? Like, what was that experience like for you getting into the club scene? The first tour I ever did was we were the direct support for Lady Annabellum's first headlining tour. Another early Whiskey Jam yeah. act as well. Um, so that was really neat because that was right after Need You Now exploded. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, I can remember. You know, obviously you book a tour six, seven months out, but I can remember going out there and thinking, man, we should be in arenas, man. Like these, these they kids. were just so big by that point. Like yeah. they're, you know, we're playing these big, huge theaters, um, a lot of the Fox theaters and stuff, and these people were just bursting at the seams, and the, and the excitement was so big, and, um, I can remember that was the first act that I'd ever been around that had their own security, and we would go out for a beer afterwards. And I mean, obviously Charles is like six nine, so yeah, you can't, you couldn't escape, you know, you couldn't hide anywhere, and and it was just everybody like wanting to talk to him, wanting to get near him, and um, that was my first kind of introduction to, holy cow, man, like this is the big time right here, and then I've. You know, I've been out on a few. I've been on a couple of different uh, tours with L Little Big Town, a couple of different with Darius Rucker. What's da What's Darius like? Exactly like you I was gonna expect. say. I've heard I've heard nothing but good things. Like he's just that. that Darius guy. is one of those guys that like you just. Um, he's gonna rag everybody. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I I would almost be worried if he wasn't giving me a hard time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's. He's great, you know. I just rode on a plane back with his band from. They were doing some Super Bowl stuff, and we were out in L.A., and we were just kind of telling old stories, just about different venues we played. And um, the one thing about Darius is his crew; they treat everybody from the very bottom to the, you know, the people on their own crew, um, as good as possible. And his security was always like super nice and hospitable and and never just made you feel like hey you're just a lousy opener i mean a lot of times you play with big acts you know not necessarily on tours because you usually have a relationship with those people but you open up for acts and you know you may not get a sound check you may not get a line check it may be like hey throw and go at six o'clock when the doors open <laughs> which is always you good know, luck guys yeah thanks <laughs> have fun um yeah. Which is always stressful, but I remember Darius's guys were always very conscious of, hey, man, it's, you know, 35 minutes till show. We might need to let David have a sound check. And um, obviously, we always appreciated that. But it, he was fun, man. I mean, um, the last tour I did with him, he, I'm a big shoe guy. I used to be. I've kind of grown out of the phase sneak, a little bit. Sneak, sneakerhead? But Darius, the first tour, he gave me like a case of. Silver Oak. Oh, wow. Wine. And it was all 09s, which was like a serious year. Oh, talk about wine, yeah, not shoes. Wine. I thought you were saying shoes. And then the second year, he gave me like 10 pairs of Jordans. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. So how big do you still have your shoe collection? Like I had you? him sign a couple. I still have those. 
Um, and you know, they were all different. I mean, I probably still have all of them. That's, that's what's sad. Like I have so many, I lose track. It's not sad. I mean, some, I mean, I have buddies that are like really into shoes, but Ward they, is a, Ward's a huge I, I've shoe. noticed his sneaker games always like top yeah. notch. I didn't know he was like a collector. I'm going to tell a story about Ward, you know, Ward, when he still worked at the tin roof, um, there were rumors that, that Ward got all of his shoes sent to tin roof instead of his house. <laughs> and then he had them hid up in the rafters of the roof and he would just phase them in to the house and to wearing them. So his wife didn't necessarily know how many shoes he was buying or how many shoes he had. And uh, I don't know if that's, that is, that's a genius. Thing I don't right know there. if that's a hundred percent true, but I heard it from some serious people and I always thought, man, that is genius. And, um, I even thought about doing that occasion because the UPS guy showed up at our house so much that he would just make jokes and shake his head and be like, you got problems, which I did. <laughs> That's funny. Um, for you, what are some of your favorite markets that you've got the tour in? Like what's, what are some shows that really stand out? Like, do you like going to the Southeast? You being a Midwest guy, is Missouri a special place for you? Yeah. Northeast? Missouri's always good. You know, I feel like, Oh, you know, when we were really you know, thumping it hard. You know, the Northeast and the and the Northwest was really hot for us. Um, you know, those are two areas of the country that I love personally. Um, I always say, you know, the Northeast, especially the New England area, they, they bought my first house because it just seemed like we were going up there twice a year. Yeah. Um, we love our country music up there. As a New York guy like New Jersey, I'm sure you've been like the yeah. – like, um, You've been to um, Sayreville, like Starland Ballroom, and, yeah. and like and like Irving Plaza in New York City, or like Asbury Park, like the Stone Pony, and like areas over there. Like we love our country music up there, and we don't get it as much as the Midwest and the Southeast do. New York is a entirely different animal, you know. I mean, like that. That's one of those places that you just get so asinine, nervous, and amped up for because it's just this whole new animal. Yeah. And, um, I can remember, um, I don't know if it was Irving Plaza or maybe one of the smaller rooms, but I can remember we, we had just started doing these VIP meet and greets. These people would come and just hearing those New York accents, oh, ask bro. The questions. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, <laughs> and they just no filter, just blunt as could be. And I can remember, um, we'd had a really long one and I'd, treated those more as like a Q&A and less about, hey, let me play you a bunch of songs you're going to hear later. That's the easiest way to do it, and they get more out of it that way by it. having that interaction with but you. But yeah. you would have people occasionally who would get mad as hell when you didn't play more songs. <laughs> and um, I can remember um, at one of those when this, this lady just out of nowhere, like, I don't even know what I said to make her realize that I wasn't going to sing again. But she realized it and just mid-sentence interrupted me and was like, this is bullshit. And I was like, huh? And she was like, you're only going to sing one song? And I'm like, that hadn't been established yet, but yes. And she just huffed and puffed the rest of the time. And everybody else was just like, what the heck, man? And then this is the worst. The rest of the, you know, the meet and greet line comes through. And instead of everybody, like, being able to talk about themselves or there was that whole, like, I mean, I can't believe that lady. I'm so sorry. Don't let her, like, represent New York for us, yeah. you know? But uh, 
Yeah, I can still see her face, by the way. If I saw her today, I would recognize her. Really? Because it was that, like, first of all, no one had ever said that to me <laughs> in a bullshit. setting like that. But, like, the fact that whatever I was talking about must have been telegraphed so much that I was wrapping it up because she just interrupted me and, you know, more or less cussed me out in front of all these people. And it was a big one, too. I mean, there's probably 40 or 50 people there. Yeah, those VIP meet and greets are always always cool. That's something that people haven't been able to do as much of with all the post-COVID yeah. kind of stuff and touring and everything. I'm just happy we get to go out and tour at this point, you know? Like, yeah, I that, think it's getting that, better, man. Yeah. I think we're turning the corner, hopefully. I do, too, I do too man. Um, so what wood. So what do we – yeah, exactly. Um, so you've been in Nashville for a while. What are some hidden gems here in Nashville? Food spots, hangout spots, secrets that you're willing to share? Man, my favorite, I don't know how hidden these are. My favorite restaurant in town is Adele's, okay. which is yeah. just around the corner. Um, I just love the, I mean, the food's great, but I just love the vibe in there. Not pretentious. You know, you can yeah. kind of go in there and dress casually. You don't have to worry about, you know, somebody up upstaging you around the corner. Um, you know, I, I mean, geez, I don't know. What's your favorite Mexican? Like, are you a Mexican food guy? We got There's a place down where I live called Tito's. Yes. That's yeah. special. Yeah, I've been to the one. There's the one in Spring Hill that I've been to. Yeah, and I've been to yeah the they're real close together. Yep. They're like yeah. an exit apart. Yeah. Um, and the original is a place in Franklin called Pueblo Real. And it is unbelievable, man. I uh, My parents are the pickiest eaters in the world, which is random because they live in like a small town <laughs> so you can't you have to be picky i guess because there's no options um but i remember taking them and i just said dad i want you to take eat this taco and i want you to just let the ground beef marinate in your mouth because it is so flavorful yeah and he's just looking at me like dude why are you so excited about this ground beef but it was so damn good that yeah. i was like i had to preface him eating this taco, so he, I, I made sure he was focused on make sure his palate was lined up and ready to go yeah. so he could appreciate it's it. It's important, man. Yeah, for yeah. sure. But, yeah, that, that place is good. There's a restaurant down our way called um, – uh, just escaped me. Uh, well, there's a restaurant down our way. It's the only, <laughs> it's the only like, upscale restaurant in Thompson Station – um, so all you have to do is Google that. You can find that real easy. Yeah. Um, I love first watch breakfasts. I know that's yeah, a chain, th but they're solid, man. They're good. Uh, obviously a pancake pantry. I still haven't been there. I've heard, I, I haven't like found the it's right pretty time. Life altering, it's pretty life especially good, when you hadn't gone in a while. I mean, it, they definitely put something in there to bring you back. Something, some uh, additive in there. There's probably, yeah, it's <laughs> something that's probably not very good for you. That's for sure. Yeah, no, that that's why it tastes so good. Um, what's something you would tell, um, you would tell your younger self twenty something years ago, just moving here? Well, you know, I had an unhealthy obsession with doing everything young. I felt like, man, I got to get a record deal at twenty. I got to have a first single out at twenty one. I got to have an album out. Like I gotta, and no, nobody really like put that on me or taught me that or made that a big deal. But man, I had an obsession with it so much so that, you know, like in my mid twenties, I was ready to pack it in. Cause I thought like my ship had sailed. Um, and in reality, you know, like I dropped out of college for that main reason. I felt like, man, I need, those years were important for my career. I needed to be out of college. Um, 
I always tell people, before I had my first hit, man, hell, I could have been a doctor if I was smart enough. I mean, as for as long as it took me to yeah. have a song that did anything. Um, and, you know, and nowadays you see a lot of these artists that are, you know, 32, 33 before they ever have a record deal. And, and that's what Brooks and Dunn, that's what Brooks and Dunn met. I think they were, I think Ronnie and Kicks were 34 to 35 when they got put together. Like for some people, it just takes a little while. I mean, you look at Walker Hayes, like he's just yes. now having success and he's my age. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that that was something that was extremely unhealthy. And that's, that's something that I would tell people is, Hey, don't get so fixated on how old you are. Even if there's, even if your buddy down the street is the same age and he's got a couple Having of your hits, blinders on is so you just kind of got to worry field. about yourself yeah. and do you, because at the end of the day, like, Music's music, and I don't think anybody's – I've never met anybody that was like, man, I'd like that song if that dude was 34. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and if – and truth be told, if they did say that, they probably wouldn't like it if they were 24 either. Yeah. You know, they just don't like the song. Um, but that's – uh, you know, that's that's been the one thing that's so – I think so enjoyable about the Walker Hayes thing is he's, like, so straight dad. Yeah, it's funny. He was actually my first – when I was doing college radio, he was my first radio interview. He came up, played in front of, like, 20 people at my college bar. He had just gotten dropped from his first deal. Like, after all that pant, pants, I think, was the song he had back then. It was pre-sobriety. So to see him doing that now all these years later is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, gray beard – not worried about you know things. Yeah, doing his thing, being the being the father to however many. I think he's got like what seven or eight kids, I something crazy bunch, like that. Man. Yeah, Evident, I mean he's got needs a TV show because there's a lot of actors in those videos. <laughs> yes, there are <laughs> a lot of different variables going on. Yeah, for sure. So what do we got going on the rest of 2022? We know we got some tour dates going. Yeah, I've been. Uh, this is totally random, but I bought a guitar the other day. When I, whenever I get into like creative ruts. I always like to go to guitar shops and just look at different guitars. And I'm not a guitar player, but, um, I mean, I play it occasionally Yeah. to write and stuff. But um, I always look at them and just say, I just play hundreds of them. And they just, this sounds so cheesy and weird, but they just speak to me, you know. And, like, yeah. and every once in a while you'll find one and I'll take it to my guitar player and have them test it out. And I'm like, hey, do you think there's any songs in there? Like. And uh, I just bought one the other day, and I've been grinding. Let's um, go. I've been grinding. Let's on go. It. That's awesome. So, uh, had a little, made a little headway yesterday. Um, but, you know, I think um, I usually have a sense of when things are about to happen, you know, as far as just like whether it's new music or, you know, good things on the horizon. And nothing ever really tells me that or why, but I just, um, I'm entirely too positive in the morning with three kids running around <laughs> to uh, feel like that that doesn't have some a, a plan that that's not playing a role. Just that positive energy. Um, so I'm excited to see what the rest of the year has in store. Hell yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, dude, I appreciate you coming on and hanging out with us on a uh, on a Thursday morning, uh, rainy, rainy, good old stormy. Nashville uh, Thursday morning, man. So really appreciate it. Uh, where can people go to find you? It's what David Nell music on everything. Yeah, unfortunately there wasn't a lot of, or fortunately there wasn't a lot of people breaking down the doors to try to get davidnell.com and <laughs> David Nell at Twitter and do you, do you Instagram. Take, do, you, do you TikTok? Do you go on there all the time? Yeah, all the time. All the time. That's no. a, oh. <laughs> no. There's some people in this room that are trying to 
you know, tie my hands behind my back and make me. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's, um, a, it's important. I don't quite understand it either, but it does. It has its like role of like reaching out to people. You know, man, there's not too many things that I do in 29 seconds. If you catch my drift. <laughs> There's a couple. Yeah. But same, creative same creative in 29 seconds and me, we don't necessarily hang in the same circle. It's the reason your writing sessions take their books yeah. for a couple hours. Yeah, there's a reason why yesterday I started about 8 in the morning and went to about 9 at night because I was just, you know, there obviously there's some breaks in there, but just, you know, constantly. I, th this uh, is totally unrelated, and I know we probably got to go, but this huge – um, record that influenced the hell out of me the last like probably six to eight months with this new Killers record called Pressure Machine. Yeah, freaking just genius. And um, I was working out to that um, two or three weeks ago, and I got to the end of it and had it up real loud in my garage, and, and I didn't know that there was like this bonus track, and it was a video, and it's him talking about writing and working on this record, Brand Flowers, the lead singer, and he said. Um, He's just practiced like three or four times. Miss Dude is in this huge band, The Killers. Yeah. And he just keeps talking about practicing and writing, and he just really had to work at it. And it wasn't, you know, he wasn't one of these people like I think I can be, is you're just sitting there waiting around for like the song to fall out of the sky, you yeah. know, before you write it. And um, it really inspired me to, to just – hey, you know, you may only have 30 minutes here or 30 minutes there or 20 minutes here or an hour here, but get in there and just pick around and think about something. You just never know when it might pop out, and um, that's ex exactly how it happened yesterday, man. I just, uh, you know, my, my wife always asks me, she says, how, where in the hell did that come from? I'm like, hell, I don't know. <laughs> I was writing about my first girlfriend one minute, and the next thing I know it was about church, and now we're talking about getting married. Like, it's just like – you know, when you got ADD, you write about anything you want. Blame yeah, it on that. For real. Absolutely, man. Well, bro, appreciate you so much. Thank Next you. Next time we'll get you in one of those Yankee hats. Yeah, not happening. Not ha are you a Red Sox it. fan? Yeah. Oh, boy. There's two things my father taught me in life. He said, you hate the Cubs and you hate the Yankees. I'm a Cardinal <laughs> fan, man. <laughs> yeah, Y'all beat you. us in a lot of World Series. We back did. Long time Way below. Long time Even Hope before I was born. Hopefully both of our teams can get back there soon, man. Uh, but huge shout-out to David Nail. Make sure you guys check him out. Tour dates, they're posted on the website, davidnailmusic.com. Check him out. Um, thanks, as always, for watching. Make sure you write, like, subscribe. Um, anywhere you listen to your podcast, um, shout out to the sponsors. Got our boy Mitch Wallace, the digital marketing agency. Hit him up. Whale Tail Media, hit them up. Saxman Studios. And then, of course, our friends in the green world, Trailside CBD. Get that tasty Delta 8 THC. So you can save 20% by using promo code ITR at checkout. We'll see you all next time. This has been the In the Round Podcast.